My friend, it's Joe Bakmotsky. I want to welcome you to The Happy You. This is the show we talk about how to lead a happy, more fulfilled life, especially when you've been through trauma, through trouble, through difficult circumstances. And today I'm talking to Michael Birch, who is a global expert on mental health, who's been awarded the Order of Australia Medal for Service to Psychology and to Community for Developing Treatments for trauma and michael is just an incredible human being who's got this heart of service and we're going to learn so much today about trauma and how it really applies in our daily life and listen if there's anything that speaks to you in this episode if there's anything that serves you then please share it with three people you know because you never know who might need to hear this today so i want to thank you for being here let's dive in Michael, it's a pleasure and an honor to meet you. And I want to thank you so much for the work that you do in trauma. Thank you, Joe. And thanks very much for the invitation. It's, uh, it's great to be talking today and sharing some experiences about my research and work in the trauma field. That's fantastic, Michael. And tell me, first of all, how would you define trauma? What is it? Well, trauma is, uh, I would define it very much as a... Uh, disruption of one's flow of experience as opposed to before the trauma the traumatic events happen or event happens there's a complete change in the one experiences oneself in the world basically so uh tra- trauma can be very disruptive no matter that's one thing that's very common about that factor that this disruption with and doesn't depend doesn't matter what type of trauma it happens to be it can be a, a bushfire a disaster an accident war trauma which i've worked a lot with veterans over uh, different times, uh, it can be um, sexual trauma, it could be uh, trauma through facing life through, through serious health conditions. Um, doesn't matter what type of trauma it is, uh, while there can be variations in the characteristics, generally speaking, uh, the disruption, the flow of experience between the relationship with self and the world um, and relationships uh, is pretty common amongst all types of trauma. So there's a battle with oneself and the world after that. One, one also tends to internalize the traumatic event and it plays out in the form of symptoms for the, for the weeks and months and sometimes years and sometimes decades afterwards, depending on how that is resolved or if it's resolved. That is a beautiful definition, Michael. I love how you speak that, to the interruption of the flow of the experience and, and the flow and effects that it can have to our life and um, and you know it i guess it can feel very lonely sometimes for people who've been going through something that that that, that hurt you at, at a deep personal level so this experience of going through trauma um i guess it's it's not so rare is it oh well i think uh, around about 70 percent of uh, 70 percent of the population experience trauma at some stage in their life uh it's, so it's and it could even be greater than that. That's what the research has found over over wow. the decades. Seventy percent, uh, but around about uh, 10 twelve percent of the population then go on to suffer what's called post traumatic stress disorder, um, and so forth. Depending on the type of trauma, if it's in the war area, which is in the more severe type of traumas, uh, this is not childhood trauma necessarily. It can be as high as thirty percent or forty percent. Sexual uh, 
violence, rape, uh, especially with assault, can be the same as the war veterans, 30 to 40% sometimes, you know. So it's, it's, uh, there's various groups. It just depends on the severity and the duration of it as well. Uh, if you're living with ongoing uh, trauma, um, you know, lasting weeks or months, uh, then that's, that also can compound the, uh, the duration of that, the prevalence of that. I've worked a lot with uh, veterans uh, who've been in operation for many years, Holocaust survivors, second generation survivors, and so on, torture victims, survivors of that. Um, that tends to be more challenging and problematic and more in the severe type of areas as well, of course. So, uh, and that can fall more into the complex PTSD rather than just PTSD alone and uh, has its own particular set of challenges in terms of uh, how one then manages that recovery from the disruption of the flow of experience within that existential journey. Absolutely, Michael. And it's, in a weird way, it's almost reassuring that, that I guess so many of us go through it, that it's not... It's not. It's such a lonely experience. I think it's. It's almost like a, um, like a breakup or, or something in a way that sometimes it feels like you're the only person in the world who's experiencing uh, you know, a challenging situation, and yet you know so many people go through something like that. So um, it's important to know that it's something that affects so many of us, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And I think actually understanding that. Uh the commonality is just so important in the first steps of recovery uh, that, you know, that uh, there's sort of a paradox and an irony in a way that uh, part of the experience of trauma usually involves a sort of what's, what's called dissociation, emotional numbing, uh, where, where that sort of if you like flow, experience, flow of experience shuts down um, and uh, that then often involves a sense of being very alone um, and, uh, if you like, alienated from the rest of the group, the fam, society, detached, and uh, that then drives one to be sort of uh, uh, a bit of an isolate in the sense because they feel that no one really understands quite what they're going through. So there's a psychological factor of dissociation, the part of the brain that sort of almost shuts down because of the ex experience of trauma. And then there's a behavioural type reactions and the cognitive changes that then just sort of uh, further isolates that person, makes them feel more alone. Uh, than just the psychological phenomena in, in itself. So there's a psychosocial phenomena, really, what goes on uh, during and uh, and uh, and through the experience post-trauma. So uh, and very few um, people from the population generally understand that. Very unfortunately, people are exposed to good many friends quite often um, that uh, have the magic answer and uh you know uh do this or do that or perhaps you need to read this book or that book or uh, um that way it won't last too long or, or there are much worse things that happen all sort of wrong advice they have this sort of idea these myths that are around and uh, or they become preachers <laughs> so yeah. so unfortunately they tend to unfortunately make things even worse for the survivor even though they can be well-intentioned and further increase the isolation. That's the value sometimes of sharing experiences, knowing more about what other trauma sufferers go through, because uh, that creates a type of bond in a way or a sense of affinity that can be so helpful to reduce that sense of isolation and sense of loneliness that, that uh, is part of the trauma experience, whether it's psychological or social.
I love what you're saying, Michael, because it really speaks to, I think, that personal experience and also being, I think, around other people who might be sharing your experience in some way might lead you to, to seek help because that's not always easy to do, is it? That's right. That's right. Being around the, the people that have also gone through that experience in the right type of way um, can be of great comfort and uh, reduce the self-stigma that tends to be part of the the trauma and the shame, especially with adult uh, survivors of childhood trauma, shame and uh, self-loving can be part of that. But then when they're sort of sharing some of those experiences and say, well, hang on, it's part of what's happened to the person rather than that, something they should feel responsible or bad about. And that can create a very important shift. Uh, with that, um, uh, in terms of there are, if there are sort of understandings, if you like, or rules amongst the trauma survivors that, in a sense, they don't become each other's therapists. And that can be very counterproductive. <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, there's been some helpful groups around uh, that uh, just get people together to do sort of day-to-day uh, -day things, you know, to go for walks through the botanical gardens or down by the beach and get together on sort of a um, sort of a sporting or hobby activity uh, where they might share a few things. Uh, those things have been extremely helpful. Uh, I was first exposed to this when I, was, when I first got into this area. I shifted from lecturing in uh, electronics, electronics applied physics change. back then. Yes, into, uh, into psychology. And I was with Veterans Affairs for a few years before I went to the private arena. And, uh, you know, they found very quickly that those sort of support groups where the people have generally shared things and uh, common activities uh, were very, very helpful. But when it comes to group therapy, they need to be very careful because, you know, if it's severe trauma, uh, if it's not managed the right sort of way, then other people can be aggravated in their trauma. They've got to be very heavy, heavy strict rules around that. And I certainly found that when I trained as a psychodramatist, usually drama and uh, acting to help people in group type therapies you know going to have lots of lots of rules and regulations in the right sort of way to have uh, have that managed so that people have a chance to work through their trauma and their social situations but not be aggravated in that process so that balance is so important wow michael and uh, i just it's so also fascinating to hear you mention psychodrama so uh it sounds really intriguing so what does that process look like and when is it helpful well uh the, the process is you get most people who become psychodramatists like what i went through uh have to go for an extended period of time probably at least probably five to seven years of training in psychodrama and they have to do a thesis as well and they have to do an examination which is uh, performance based of course so it's, it's very much around uh the idea of role roles and uh being able to bring forth life-giving roles as opposed to self-destructive roles so it's role theory is very very relevant here uh, ties into the general notion of theater uh, but there's a natural tendency and this was first noted by the the uh the uh, if you're right the the founder of psychodrama marino there's a natural tendency um for people to want to actually play out or act out um with others or work through especially as children play out their actual trauma to try and resolve that. So there's natural tendency there. And psychodrama relies very much on identifying helpful roles to help that process. And one of the most helpful roles there is to be the, in the role of, if you like, the all-seer or systems analyst, where you can actually 
it's a mindful type role where you have an idea of you view yourself in various compartments interacting with life and yourself and try and actually role reverse and speak to yourself in a way which is more understanding um, and compassionate and that is a magic elixir that helps people overcome all kinds of all kinds of trauma the good thing about psychodrama too is that when you do uh, the acting and you move around you roll reverse from one role to the other it can be uh, just you reverse role reversing roles from one chair to another in a group it can be having people play out certain roles including a perpetrator including oneself in a past situation a friend bring them all together uh, the movement around too allows allows the uh, the protagonist or the trauma uh, survivor release release a lot of the energy that's stored up in the body somatically it's very powerful and uh, and sometimes they find that they have a feeling and they do things without actually being conscious of that but that's picked up by the therapist or other group members and uh, then they're asked then to expand on that and they quite they find then amazingly that there's uh, a source of their pain from the trauma is stored in a certain part of the body and that's released from that action and movement um, and spontaneity and creativity is a very big part of that process. Yeah, that's so just mind blowing, Michael, because that also speaks to um, you know kind of shifting different perspectives, and and also I guess forces you to see it as an event that has happened in the past, right? So it's some form of uh, I, I, I guess distancing in that respect as well. Yes, well, sure, and and, and the great and I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, it, it is seen in the past, and there's always a capacity. For the what's called the mirror position, which was which is an anchor position, to have a safe place where, where you are in the present, that there could be two or three of you at the same time by these various roles that are played out, uh, helped by the uh, acceleration group or with various chairs and one-on-one -on -one therapy. You always establish a safe place in the present, which is an anchor, so you can view the more challenging areas in the past where the trauma happened, or uh, events related to the trauma happened. And you can always step back to the present. And uh, when you step back to the present, if you're feeling overwhelmed in the particular exposure that's taking place or the confrontation, uh, it's, it's sort of almost uh, what it does. It actually creates a sense of uh, safety and, uh, and uh, a sense of being able to be supported in the right type of way that makes you feel safe. So creating safety at the same time, having uh, some, some controls on the degree of exposure is just so important. You don't want to overexpose someone to a challenging situation if it's too traumatic. You want to have the capacity to bring them back to a safe place uh, in the present where they where they with the uh, the right type of supports. That's very important. Creating yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Michael. And that sounds like also a, 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 a uh, an incredible tool that we could apply in other areas of life. Then, if you've gone through that experience, um, to help us in terms of resilience, right? Because this way you can. Uh, also, like bringing yourself from the past or from worrying about things into the present, that's, that's such a helpful um, tool as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And also, that's right. And they can then take those, those skills into day-to-day -day life because, you know, uh, they'll, they'll experience perhaps a challenge, a sort of a, a difficulty with somebody they've come across in a shop, supermarket. Sometimes people are very difficult and uh, that can be a trigger. 
uh, and the thing can be blown out of also out of out of, out of proportion because effect regulation is one of the challenges for trauma survivors, um, and uh, they can trigger sort of a, a, a somatic internal flashback, or can actually trigger trigger an actual flashback where they feel like they're going back from the past, um, um, or create uh, memories from the past, or they could just overreact to the person that's in front of them as though they were the original cause of their trauma, the perpetrator or other events. So if they learn then to step back uh, from that situation, walk away, count to 10, um, pause, be aware that, the, that this might be one of those triggers that can be so helpful to them to, to get their emotions under control and feel safe at the same time. Um, sometimes they, they're triggered and they, they just go home and they can do that. They put up a chair themselves and say, look, hang on, there's me in relation to that person at uh, supermarket who make me very upset. Let me step back from that now and just breathe and relax. Yeah, that is incredible, Michael. And I think this, this such, um, uh, and I'm probably just speaking about myself, uh, is th there is, a, I guess, lack of awareness of these incredible techniques uh, and approaches to dealing with trauma because you don't really know what it's going to look like and, and and that might be preventing people from 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 seeking you know psychological support that they might need do you feel that there's other things that kind of play into that well yeah there, there can be things that play into that for sure i mean there can't be enough education um and media and like what you're doing is fantastic i think joe um, getting out there and uh, thank you so much and uh, um, and but and in such a not necessarily in a fully academic way in a way that's people sharing experiences of a positive nature um, I think that's extremely helpful um, but also I think uh, individuals being prepared to look at what's blocking them and keeping them stuck but one of the things that when you've been through trauma especially like you know um, if it's been something going on for years and years, you've been exposed to like the survivors of the Holocaust, survivors of war, even second generation, that then flows on, you know. Uh, one of the ways of coping is one of the roles that needs to be renegotiated with psychodrama, perhaps, or other techniques, cognitive behavioural therapy, MDR, uh, that uh, there can be a, pr a pride, if you like, a way of feeling less shameful, feeling less, uh, uh, less likely to be uh, someone that can be easily victimised by having a fierce independence type of stoicism, if you like, and that can be very helpful from the during the trauma and just after the trauma. But after a while, that becomes a sort of a, a rod for the back, so to speak. It becomes a burden, and it can be hard because you know um, it feels to let go of that independence and rely on support of humanity it can be a weakness if you feel weak. That can then be a trigger for the trauma, mm. and you can go back into that horrible space, the dissociation, uh, the anxiety, etc. Uh, many other things. Uh, so, understanding that process, that double bind, the things that keeps one stuck, you know, the, the issues um, that one has has uh, set up as a coping skill. Um, you know, for example, the world's a dangerous place. We can't trust others. They're unlovable. Therefore, you must keep your distance. Uh, understanding that's part of uh, a problem with uh, accommodating and working through the trauma. That's a coping skill. 
but then there's a time now to look at other ways to uh, to manage the trauma and to to reconnect with that flow of experience that was once there and so how do you do that self-assessment how do you decide that you might be in the place where you, this might be the time to seek like uh, psychological support well i mean if if you feel things like a high depression you feel like you're emotionally not connected within yourself you're feeling numb a lot you can't access your feelings you can't recognize what your feelings are your mood changes quite quickly you get very upset about things a lot more than what you're used to uh you have poor sleep you have nightmares you have trouble in your interpersonal relationships because intimacy can be a real challenge when you've been traumatized especially if it's interpersonal trauma uh to make yourself vulnerable and open uh, can then be a trigger for for uh past abuse so all those sorts of problems and challenges in your day-to-day life with others and your your mood states that are, that are less than satisfactory are all indicators that you need to sort of seek a direction support in the right sort of way oh absolutely michael it's just it's it's so vital i think to really hit home those points that you talk about to really understand what it's right for you because going through trauma can be an incredibly uh, confusing and difficult experience to kind of look back on and see uh, like you know what happened and what you should be doing from now on so michael let's say that you are open to, to to try and therapy or some kind of psychological support. How do you go about finding the person who, who's right for you? Well, I'd, I'd advise um, um, anyone that's gone through trauma to, to look widely. Um, I mean, obviously, your general practitioner is often a good place for referral, but it's not the answer for everyone. There's, there's certain, there's certain, uh, uh, if you like, uh, uh, schools in thinking about the whole process. Uh, I think uh, being prepared to research, generally speaking, you know, to, from, from the internet, from looking at programs like, wonderful program like your, programs like yours, Joe, uh, to get an idea about what's around, what are the different approaches and, uh, and uh, how they are presented in, in a sort of a public way, whether it's the internet or whether it's reading. But be open to different uh, different, if you like, modalities in seeking the right answer. But you know, uh, there are there are groups around, like for example, the Australian Psychological Society um, has a massive list of referrers. Uh, but if you are already pretty clear on the type of approach that you want, um, you can then approach the approach the the uh, and, and the condition. You can approach, say, for example, the Australian Psychological Society. So, if you know. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of got a leaning towards, I'm a very creative person. I want to do art therapy. I want to explore the, uh, that with a therapist or psychodrama with a therapist that has capacity for perhaps that and perhaps some of the other um, sort of uh, uh, regular approaches like cognitive behavioral therapy or IBM desensitization reprocessing. But I'll, I've got a creative bent and uh, art therapy is, uh, is uh, something that I want to have that capacity for or psychodrama or other creative approaches. If you put in art therapy and psychodrama, Melbourne, for example, uh, you'll see a lot of information and therapists talking about this and about that. So I'll do your research first before necessarily saying, well, you know, I'll just take that one approach or because, you know, someone recommended that I come to um, 
to a source with some research done already on that. Yeah, yeah, that's so, so fantastic, Michael. Uh, because it just puts it, makes it real. So tell me, like, when someone goes, um, you know, walks in through the door uh, into your office, um, like, uh, I would just love to have an insight. Like, how would you understand, uh, you know, just to make that uh, experience visual? Like, what are the things that you would look for? How would you decide what sort of things, you know, what sort of uh, approach to choose? How, how would it play out? I just just so that someone knows what to expect. Well, generally, generally speaking, if, say if someone were to come and see in the past uh, for trauma treatment, that they pretty well know what they've got, condition they've got. They know they've been traumatized. Uh, there's a reason for them wanting to seek a trauma therapist. So, from the outset, one of the most important things that uh, <coughs> that uh, needs to be undertaken is respect. Uh, trust and empowerment you know, apart from whatever journey might be forthcoming so it's so important to be a good listener and to have empathy and to be able to talk generally around the person's experiences and their reasons for attending the <coughs> particular first session not to rush into anything not to feel make the, the person feel they're under any kind of pressure to do this or to do that um, eventually um, there'll be discussion about why they're there and the types of trauma and their day-to-day -day life experiences about going too much about going into into trauma too much too quickly too deeply i generally think that's a mistake mm -hmm. uh but generally try and get an idea of what's going on in terms of symptoms uh, interpersonal troubles and how they may be over overcome like assertiveness training some of the basic things can be so powerful because they're good for helping a person protect their boundaries they're helping a person to actually develop better interpersonal relationships overcome interpersonal conflicts and they're always present if someone has been through trauma, especially with childhood trauma and the survivor of their adult survivors of trauma. So just to find some better ways to manage things on a day-to-day -day basis can be so powerful. And that sets up the framework for letting that person feel like they are the orator of their own experience, that their narrative and their journey is important, that, uh, that, that they are a worthwhile human being, um, that uh, they have trust in the tact of the therapist and that, that sort of mitigates feelings of shame and worthlessness that often comes with uh, traumatic experience and isolation for that matter. Um, creativity is also very much part of that process. Spontaneity can help that process. Even a bit of humour every now and then can help that process. So building trusts uh, over a period of a few sessions and uh, uh, treating very carefully, understanding one's own type of experience in relation to the trauma and post happens and then eventually um, some level of exposure to the actual events. Uh, it doesn't always go that way, but uh, um, sometimes because of the interpersonal experiences and the dramas that take place in one's personal relationships, it's often an opportunity very quickly to make that relationship safer as a childhood survivor with the, the parent that was abusive. For example, or the, the, the uncle or the neighbour or, or the schoolmaster teacher, and they can make that connection very quickly. But, but generally speaking, it's educational, it's uh, empathy, it's listening, it's helping the client develop their own narrative in, in, in the sort of their, in the way that they, they generally want to move, guided by the therapist. So it's, it's, it's sort of a, if you like, it's sort of a, it's a journey of exploration and the therapist is a guide. 
That's uh, a beautiful description of it, Michael, that you talk about you talk about trust, you talk about respect, you talk about empowerment, and that it ultimately all centers around the person who has been through trauma, who's yes. experienced it. And as you talk about you know, redefining uh, your your own experiences and and I really uh, connect with that because it's talking about what is your story and how do you essentially yes. kind of direct your story through life having experienced trauma right yes yes that's exactly yes that's true indeed yes absolutely and so uh, how important is I know we touched on this earlier but how important is community or um, a sense of of belonging when you've been through trauma? Well, it's extremely important. It was the right type of community. You know, uh, so if, if you've got the right type of community, you've got the, uh, the right type of re the religious community, uh, general community, family, uh, if, it's, if that's, um, if you like, constructive, that's extremely important. Um, and, and in lots of ways, if you've got the right type of support, the right type of family, the right type of friends, Less likely to need therapy because let's, let's, let's go after all going back to that initial figure that we talked about 70 percent of people suffer trauma some kind or another war um you know uh war, um road accidents childhood trauma but then probably between 10 and 30 percent have ongoing troubles with post-traumatic stress so so you would you would then take into account that the, perhaps part of the reason why people have recovered the majority is because of their own internal resilience, if you like, but also the right type of supports, the religious, the you know, the, the churches, the synagogues, you know, they they all form part of a important capacity to help that person move through uh, life's troubling times and difficulties. So that that's extremely important. But on the other hand, you don't always get the right type of supports in communities. Um, you know, uh, just just could be a matter of luck sometimes. We happen to be in the right sector. Um, and uh, uh, if you're feeling worse, that's a good indicator that you're in that wrong support sector, if you know what I mean. Yes, absolutely. So you have to have an open mind, you know, that uh, perhaps this group or that group, whatever category it happens to fall into, is making you feel worse. Um, then maybe you should challenge that, maybe think of another type of support sector. That's the other thing. It's not a matter of necessarily say, giving away this group or that group, uh, it's a matter of perhaps going to another one. Yeah. Yes. Uh, culture absolutely. can vary. Ethnocentric culture can be extremely variable. So you can find one particular denomination, diocese, not so helpful, but another one extremely helpful. One group of friends, helpful. The others, not. Uh, often people from their social atom find it's gone through quite a shift. Some friends who they, say, for example, talk about friends, who they thought would be very supportive, but they were always there for when they had troubles, were very abandoning. <laughs> Whereas you know, other people who they really didn't give much credit for were extremely supportive. So, so often there's a, in fact, I almost say mostly there's a, a readjustment of the social system, the social atom, social network. Yeah, well, it's so validating to hear that, Michael, because I, I think I've experienced that and I'm probably um, speaking on behalf of other people who have experienced something similar, is that, yeah, that, that the way that people sometimes react to things or um, sometimes they don't always meet your expectations when you've been through uh, a challenging experience. Yes, yes, that's right, that's right. So uh, <clears throat> um, being aware of uh, 
perhaps that process in itself and being prepared to realize the limitations sometimes it's not ill-intended it's just they don't simply have the right equipment you know so perhaps being honest, having an understanding to move more towards the right interpersonal relationships can be a helpful part of the uh, the existential journey exactly and i i just really love how it's all framed up as something that is uh, is a, your we are the drivers of our own experience it's about understanding your own needs uh, with respect to your uh, your your friends and your family and yes. the people around you understanding the needs that you might have in terms of seeking you know, psychological support yes and and even then if you are seeking psychological support it's not something that is done to you but is it's something that where you know you're guided by uh, you know a specialist such as yourself and and you are still in charge and you're in control and you are writing your own story yes yes that's absolutely that's right it's interactive that's for sure interactive i love that michael michael and listen you're such a great leader in this space and you you've been in media you you speak about trauma a lot um what's the kind of the one thing about trauma that maybe you haven't shared somewhere else or something that you know is not getting enough attention oh what's not getting enough attention is is, is the uh the, the the trouble with dissociation you know, and depersonalization i mean there's a lot of just a lot of discussion about flashbacks nightmares and uh interpersonal issues and so forth but i think there's a lot more research required into the area of dissociation emotional numbing where a person feels disconnected from himself so uh for example a person may experience a trigger that takes them back into that zone where they experience the uh the uh, trauma initially but it's last month or 10 years ago and uh in that space it's like a, a feeling of isolation loneliness and hopelessness uh it's like they're about to die and there's nothing like like being lost in space like being lost in the north of the ocean <coughs> and and uh part of that is also the feeling that there's no escape it's, it's an it's a life sentence or a deficit it's a life and death sentence at the same time if you know so there's a lot more need a lot more work required in that area to help understand that i think there's been a lot of research coming out uh, universities about uh, lots of areas but there's a lot more need to really understand that process and help people manage that process um, and help people to actually if you like uh, move from the from the the, uh, the uh, painful isolated world world association into a much better space to move from one space to the other um i think actually when i go back to some of the work of the 70s late 70s there's probably a good understanding of that uh there's a then perhaps in 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 the 90s or the noughties if you know what i mean so they seem to have lost a lot of those connections a lot um uh but um what helps a person move from one space to the other is tapping in often to the emotion that was there before they dissociated you know, so often there's a very scary emotion there's a feeling of shame there's a feeling of powerlessness so to help a person negotiate understand something more about the the emotions that go on make them make the perhaps the pre-conscious more conscious helps that person manage that uh capacity to be resilient about going to dissociate dissociation and exp and escaping from that one room to the other uh there's, there's an approach called ego state therapy which is i think very helpful to that it's almost like saying you're uh, there's a different parts of the personality 
Uh, it's almost like going from one room to the other, getting through those doorways. Uh, and the, the doorway of uh, trauma, which can involve often dissociation, uh, can be moved through to the other door of life-giving forces if, if the right type of tools are there and the right type of help is there. But there's a lot more needed about that. Uh, I think in some ways, uh, even Freud was doing a lot of work around that area too, but things can get lost over the decades um, or there needs to be more work done. So that's one area I think that needs to be progressed a lot more, actually. And, and to help people recognise when they do actually go into that room of, uh, if you like, uh, hopelessness and powerlessness and pessimism to, and find the tools and the support to move into the room of light and hopefulness. So vital, Michael, just moving from, like you mentioned, from that pre-conscious state to where it is conscious, to where it's yes. something that is in some way, we bring it out into the open so that we, it can, we can go on that part of a healing journey. Yes, yes. And, and, that's, and that's also developing the capacity to have that joint partnership between the mind and the emotion, you know, uh, to, to connect with that part of those feelings that uh, are less accessible. And that, that can also involve... Uh, a range of complexities too because there can be family rules that you're not supposed to be too emotional emotions are scary it can be your own as i mentioned before coping skills that you have of independence that you know you're not going to look at that we're not going to feel that but uh, to find ways to tap into those feelings and change those rules as if you like those are cognitive rules that perhaps keep you trapped or vulnerable to the dissociative space or about less helpful areas that lead to suffering and to move beyond that. Absolutely, Michael. And, you know, we know that resilience is important. And what is your advice around um, becoming more resilient, uh, especially for someone who's been through um, a trauma, perhaps difficult time? Well, I think one of the most important things is to move away from self-criticism. Because part of one's, I mean, it's almost like a necessary part of, you know, negotiating life, you know, that we, we need to be self-critical. Otherwise, we'd be, we wouldn't, wouldn't have a conscience. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but then when you've been through trauma or you've been through abuse, um, uh, long-suffering, you unfortunately, you can then tend to internalise that uh, self-harshness, so to speak, and even be gravitating towards pretty critical people. So developing self-compassion and developing, if you like, a mindful view of oneself in a kind way uh, can help resilience incredibly. Because part of um, poor resilience is this sort of harshness towards oneself. Okay? So if you're fortunate enough to have people in relationships that are sort of understanding and uh, compassionate and tolerant, or whatever you're going through, that helps you internalise this harsh attitude towards yourself too, and that can help resilience incredibly. Uh, beyond that, it's just uh, a number of life skill techniques, assertiveness training, boundary keeping. Uh, what roles do you do to, to that you feel like you need to act out to to uh, that um, perhaps get in the way of your recovery? Some people rather than focusing on their need to progress and move through their past pain, throw themselves into being a saviour of everybody else, which is okay to some extent, you know, 
we're all we're all part of humanity and we like to help each other um it's in the dna i think uh but then usually it goes to an extreme amount to be wanting to rescue too much and you can become what's called codependent mm-hmm. and move away so it's all a process of coping and avoidance so we need to you know look at our, our patterns there and uh, uh but learning those skills assertiveness training boundary keeping a balanced commitment between oneself commitments and commitment to others so important in resilience powerful powerful stuff michael that's powerful thank you so much my pleasure and tell me if someone wanted to find out more about what you do and your work what would they do well i guess if online things you've seen some of the work that i do some of my activities just just go to google <laughs> so you put in michael booth psychologist it'll come up you know that's everything there for the first few pages on that basis yeah fantastic michael thank you so much for being here and thank you truly so much for the life-changing work that you're doing it's my pleasure delight to uh, share with you today joe hey my friend this is joe bakmoski and thank you so much for tuning in to the happy you the show where we talk about how to find happiness in your life if you've been to the place of struggle. Listen, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it's been useful in some way. And if it has, then check out my book, Finding Hope in Times of Uncertainty, a guide to thriving in the challenging world of today. Listen, in this book, I talk about my experience of going through cancer and mental health and various difficulties of my life to really share with you well, the best things of what I've learned about how to stop worry from taking over your life. Really, how to find joy in those small, everyday things so that you feel excited about life again. How to really find a greater sense of confidence so that you can reach your goals faster. How to forge even stronger bonds with people in your life. And ultimately, how to rekindle your sense of purpose and belonging so that you're looking forward to the future and so that you can share your hope with people around you. If this sounds like something you might be interested in, then go and check it out at awayfromuncertainty.com. I'm going to give you some super special bonuses for you there if you want to get the book. I'm going to tell you more about in the video on this book website, but this is ultimately where you can check it out and find out more. So please go to awayfromuncertainty.com. Thank you for being here. I'll see you next time.